In the book of Nehemiah, it opens with Nehemiah discovering that the wall of Jerusalem had been torn down and destroyed, and the gates were also destroyed. So because of this instance, the exiles who had returned to Jerusalem, they were left defenseless and they were vulnerable. They were vulnerable and open now to the attacks of their enemies and anyone wanting to come in and try to do harm because there was no wall or gate in place to, to, um, as a barrier to keep any of them out. When Nehemiah discovered this, he sat down and wept. The scripture also tells us that he prayed and he fasted because of this. God placed a burden on Nehemiah's heart to do something about this. So he went to Jerusalem and he took on this huge task of trying to motivate the people to rebuild the wall and to help with all the repairs that needed to be done. Nehemiah faced much opposition. He faced many issues that came up, but with God's help, they were able to rebuild the wall. When Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, he found more than just broken walls. Nehemiah found broken people, broken lives, and broken spirits. After the completion of the wall, Nehemiah gathered together the people as they listened to Ezra read God's law. His focus now was on rebuilding the spiritual lives of the people, rebuilding the lives of the Jewish people, and also to begin helping to usher in a revival. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Nehemiah chapter 8? And in Nehemiah chapter 8, we will be reading selected verses. And so if you prefer to follow along on the screen, uh, the scripture will be on there. And if you are able to, would you stand as we read God's word? Nehemiah chapter 8, starting at verse 1. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns... All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square, just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Verse 5, Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and the people chanted, Amen, Amen, and they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. 
for the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Verse 12, so the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's words and understood them. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you indeed are a great God. We thank you, Father, that we have the privilege of gathering together to hear your word and to study and to, to look at it together as believers. And we pray that, Lord, as we hear your word, that, Lord, you would help us to be able to respond accordingly to whatever it is that you want to say to us. And so, God, we commit this time now into your hands, and we pray for your blessing upon it. May you speak and move and have your way, and we indeed commit this time into your hands together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Feel free to be seated. So, Nehemiah urged the people to gather together to seek God so the people could now worship together as their, the Jewish people. He gathered them together, and they had been divided. They had been a divided people who were now assembled together with a unified purpose. See, in coming together, the people put aside any differences, attitudes, preconceived notions. They put aside anything that they held against each other for the purpose of being unified and no longer divided. This was essential for them in order to now have a unified purpose and be gathered together. It was essential if they wanted to see change and be able to move forward. You see, division tears us apart. Division causes us to be separated and isolated. It causes us to be divided from each other and to have things stand in the way of our relationship as brothers and sisters. And there are many divisions in our world today. And the truth is that, sadly, even within the body of Christ, there are many divisions as well. But it is important for us to be a people who are unified. And in order for us to help usher in revival and to see God do something new and great in our lives, we need, we must gather together with a unified purpose. We must gather together and be intentional in being unified and allowing whatever is in between us, whatever issues, whatever problems, whatever things that are between us as brothers and sisters to forgive and to be able to move on so that we can be unified. The people needed to be unified in order for change to happen, and Nehemiah knew this. He knew that they all wanted the same thing, and in order for that to come about, they needed unity within the body. You see, our purpose in gathering together as believers is to worship, is to pray, is to seek God, encourage one another, help one another, and ultimately help build the kingdom of God to tell the world about the love and hope that we have in Christ. 
And if we truly desire the presence of God, then we have to strive to create a unified atmosphere. If we truly desire to see the hand of God move in our lives in a powerful and miraculous and mighty way, then we have to seek God and as a body be unified. You see, many people say, well, I don't see God doing the same things that he used to do in the scriptures. I don't see God moving the same way. You see, friends, we need to come together unified and together. We need to be unified in our purpose, in our worship, in our prayer, in, in, in all that we do in order to allow an atmosphere that allows the Holy Spirit to move. We have to create an atmosphere that allows the Holy Spirit to work that he's not grieved in, but he's free to move. Now understand, the Holy Spirit can move in whatever atmosphere he chooses to move in. He's not limited by what we do or what we don't do. But there's something powerful that happens when we come together as believers in unity. In the book of Acts, Jesus is, after Jesus' ascension back to heaven, the apostles returned and gathered together to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. They were told to go and gather together and wait for the, the Spirit to come. And as they waited, Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Do you see that? They met together and they were constantly united. There was a purpose for them getting together. There was a purpose in their unity and gathering together. They were united and they created an atmosphere that allowed the Holy Spirit to move freely. Then watch this. When they, um, in Acts 4, Peter and John had to go before the council of religious leaders and explain why they were preaching Christ, why they were telling the people these things about Jesus. And when they entered to the other believers, in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, it says, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. They prayed together. In other words, they prayed together unified, and look what happened. In verses 31 and 32, after this prayer meeting, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers were unified in heart and mind. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting shook because the presence of God had entered in and had met with them. The Holy Spirit started to move and to work and to have his way. You see, my friends, as believers, we need to create a unified atmosphere, an atmosphere that is inviting for the Holy Spirit to come. We want the Holy Spirit to come, but are we creating an atmosphere that allows him to come and to work? Are we creating an atmosphere of prayer and of worship? Are we creating that atmosphere in church? Are we creating that atmosphere in our homes? Are we creating that atmosphere amongst our family? 
because it comes back to what are we doing in that atmosphere? How are we behaving? How are we conducting ourselves? What are we saying? What are we talking about? You see, there are times where what we do and what we say can grieve the Holy Spirit. It can. It can grieve the Holy Spirit. But there are also times where we allow the Holy Spirit the freedom to move. We allow the Spirit to come and we invite Him to work and to move and to have free reign. There's something powerful when we come together as believers and are unified. Jesus tells us, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Where two or three gather in my name. You may ask the question of, well, what if there's only one? Well, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and so he's with us all the time. But when we gather together as believers, he is in our midst. He is amongst us. He is there. When we come together in agreement in prayer, when we come together talking about the things of God and inviting his spirit into our midst, he is there with us. We gather together for a unified purpose. We do not gather together to compare and gossip about people. We do not gather together for a fashion show and to check out what each other is wearing. We do not gather together to complain about things without offering help and a solution. We do not gather together to draw attention to ourselves and what we have done. Friends, when we gather together as believers, our sole unified purpose should be on God and God alone. That is what our intention and our purpose should be when we gather together. And if anything else happens that takes away from our worship of God, then we begin to grieve the Spirit because He wants our hearts to be connected to Him. He wants our focus to be on Him. He wants our minds to be on Him and not upon other things. And you yourself knows that when your relationship with God is not right, or when your heart is not right, or when there's something going on in your life, it affects the way that you worship, doesn't it? It affects. When you have a, a fight with your family before you come to church, it affects your mood. It affects your worship. When there's problems going on in your life, when there's uncertainty with your job, when there's financial issues, it affects how you worship. Friends, our purpose in coming together should be on God, should be on turning our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face. It should be on worshiping him and acknowledging that there are so many things going on in and around us. But when we focus on God, all of those things seem to go smaller and smaller and eventually fade away. We come together and we gather together to be present, to be unified, and to worship. Whether that's online or in person, we need to gather together as believers. And I do want to say, and this is not to make anyone feel bad, but the truth is that some of you have chosen not to come back simply because of convenience. That there are legitimate reasons for people who have not come back in person to worship, whether it's health or mobility or work issues or whatnot. But there are some people who have chosen not to come back simply because it's more convenient. 
Friends, the Bible tells us, let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us gather together. Let us support one another. Let us encourage each other. Let's learn from each other, and let's worship God together. The people gathered, and they were unified, and that began to usher in this revival that they experienced. So they gathered together for that purpose, and the purpose that they gathered together for was to hear the book of the law of Moses read to them which was likely the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Keep in mind that at this time, the people didn't have their own copy of the Bible the way that we have now. And so their only way of hearing the word is if it was read to them by one of the religious leaders or scribes or prophets. And so they were listening to the word of God being read, and they were gathering together. Then Ezra was asked to bring out the book, and in verses 3 and 5, it says this. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people, when they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Do, do you see how they had such an awesome reverence and respect for God? They had such a reverence and respect for his word. They wanted to hear the word. They were hungry for it, and they treated it with honor and reverence. In order for us to begin ushering a revival, we need to treat the Word of God with reverence and honor. To treat the Word of God with reverence and honor. My friends, this is not just another book. But this is alive and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it has the power to pierce the heart. It has the power to divide. It has the power to bring conviction and change and transformation. And we must treat it with the honor and reverence it deserves. The Word of God is powerful. And it is able to speak to us still today and to bring about change in our lives. You see, there is no other book in history that has this kind of power. No other book in history that has that power to convict, change, transform, stir up controversy, and at the same time bring hope to the world. No wonder the Bible is banned in 52 countries. Did you know that? The Bible is banned in 52 countries because God's word is powerful. God's word is alive. It reveals to us the character and nature of God. It reveals where everything came from and why we exist here today. The Bible helps us understand how we must live and how we can have eternal life. The Bible is for people of all races, ages, genders, walks of life. The Bible is the truth. 
and it reveals to us God's truth and his standard. Therefore, we must, must approach the word of God with reverence and treat it as holy and precious. That's why we're not to add from it or to take away from it, but we're to proclaim it in its fullness and in its context. We are to honor God's word. When the people saw that Ezra began to open the books, they stood, they rose up from their feet because they knew this is not just some other book that he's reading, but this is God's word, God's law to us. And they treated it with the respect and honor that it deserved. Ezra began by reading God's word. He opened the book. The people displayed a respect and a reverence for the truth. They were standing as the scripture was being read. The truth was explained to everyone who could understand so that everyone, including children, were able to understand what he was teaching. The truth was then applied to their lives. See, they didn't just hear the word, but they did something about it. They didn't just listen to what it said, but they became doers, and they brought about the change in their lives that needed to come about. You see, we cannot just read the word of God simply hoping that we'll understand, because many people read the Bible and then say, oh, it, con it contradicts itself, it doesn't make sense, this, you know, is not relevant to me. Because the word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, we must read it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you, even before you read God's word, to just say a prayer. It doesn't have to be long and say, God, as I read, open my spiritual eyes. Help me to understand because I know that I cannot understand on my own, but reveal to me. And when we look at it with the help of the Holy Spirit, he helps to reveal things. He clarifies. He, he gives us revelation and wisdom and understanding. And we must read it with his help in order for it to make sense and read it as it should be read. See, it doesn't matter if you're old or young. If we are not reading it with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will never glean the wisdom that the Bible has to offer. We will never fully understand the benefits and the blessings that come from God's word. We must read it with the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot experience revival with our Bibles collecting dust, sitting on a shelf or sitting on a coffee table. It must be opened. It must be read, studied, talked about, memorized, meditated on. It must be applied to our lives in order to allow change to happen. And I know that many of you read the word of God on a daily basis and God bless you for doing that. But I want to encourage you to go even deeper. The word of God, not only reading it, but studying it, meditating on it 
it, looking at things up to help understand more and more in context. And as we begin our small groups again in the fall, I want to encourage you to join a Bible study or small group because that is what's going to help you to dig in and go deeper, to ask questions and be able to learn from each other, not just reading on your own and hope that you understand, but it is so important that the Bible is used in our lives because it is the sword that we use to our spiritual defense. You see, when Jesus was attacked in the wilderness, he didn't use any physical objects, but he used the word of God at his defense. The word is our defense, and we can only use it if we know it. The psalmist writes, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart, but in order for us to hide God's word, we have to know God's word. We have to read it and memorize it and know it. One author wrote, sin will keep you from the Bible, or the Bible will keep you from sin. Hmm. The word of God is like spiritual food. It is nourishing to our spirits. It is nourishing to us and it helps us to grow spiritually. And it is the kind of food that God wants us to continue to feast on day by day by day. Notice that the Bible says that as Ezra was reading the book of the law, the people were weeping. Now I want you to understand that he was reading God's law, the law that God had given to Moses. It wasn't like it was a beautiful story narrative. It wasn't like it was a beautiful path. It was law. It was what God expected of the people. But they began weeping. You see, when we see ourselves in the sinfulness that is revealed to the standard of a holy God, we cannot help but weep because we understand how sinful we are and how much we need a Savior. It reveals our sinfulness, and the people wept because as they listened to the law being read, they realized how truly sinful they had been, how truly disobedient they were, and how much they needed God. However you may read the Word of God, whether it's on your phone or tablet, computer, physical, Bible, it is important for us to read it. Here's something. And this is just my opinion, but I always still read my Bible unless, you know, something happens and I don't have it from the physical Bible. And that's just my opinion, but I want to encourage you to, to still read your Bible from the physical book. You know why? Because it teaches us to find the books of the Bible and to know where they are. And so, you know, it's easy on a tablet just to select a book of the Bible, but to physically be able to flip through the pages and to, to know where things are without having to look them up is something that we cannot replace. And so don't give up your physical Bible, but continue to regard it as holy. Teach your children. The Bible tells us that he taught all who could understand, children included. Are you teaching your children and your grandchildren the word of God? 
Are you teaching them how much Jesus loves them? Are you teaching them the books of the Bible to memorize it, where to find it, how to apply it to their lives, to understand? Because we need to set that foundation so that when they are old, they will not depart. Are we teaching the word of God? After Moses' death, the Lord spoke to Joshua and he said this. He said, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate <clears throat> excuse me, on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Do not deviate from the word of God. Do not turn to the left or to the right, but look to the word of God for our, for our direction, to understand how we should live and what we should do. Look to the word of God to give us wisdom and guidance in everything that we do. May you continually have a reverence and honor for God's word. Not only did the people honor God's word, but their, their worship was genuine. Their worship was real. Their worship was not put on. It wasn't a show. It wasn't fake. In verse 6, it says, Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, amen, as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 9 says, For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They were not concerned with being holier than thou. They were not concerned with putting on a show for their neighbor to see. They were not concerned with pretending to be anything that they weren't. They simply were worshiping God the way he deserved to be worshiped. They were simply consumed with their genuine worship and worshiping God and looking to him and seeking him. God desires our full worship. He desires our full attention, and he is worthy of it. We must genuinely worship the Lord. We must genuinely worship the Lord. You might ask the question, is it possible for our worship to be disingenuine? Well, think about the question as, is it possible for someone to say something to you that they don't mean? Is it possible for someone to do something that, you know, isn't very sincere? Of course it is, right? Because it's just surface level. If someone says to you, oh, I'm sorry that I did that. You know, you can usually tell if an apology is sincere or not. You can usually tell if a person is being sincere, unless they're a really, really good actor. But, you know, the, the bottom line is that our worship can be disingenuous. It can be if we're consumed with, you know, what people think or how we should act or whatnot. But you see, friends, it's not about other people. It is about us and God and worshiping God in his fullness, worshiping God with our whole heart, worshiping God the way that he deserves to be worshiped. And I believe it's sad, but I believe that too many people are blinded, and they, they worship God, and they're so consumed with 
the people around that they, they wonder, you know, should I raise my hands? Should I, should I sing out loud? Should I, should I do this? Because people are watching, right? Should I go to the altar? Someone's going to talk about me. I'm going to the altar again. I'm crying. Who cares? Worship God. If you have business to do with God, you do that business with God. God deserves for us to worship him genuinely in spirit and in truth. And it is a sad fact that the, the enemy has blinded people and has misled them to believe that we should worship the creation rather than the creator. And don't get me wrong, we need to take care of the creation that God has given. We need to take care of our planets and, and, and trees and environment and all of that. But we are not to worship anything or anyone aside from God and God alone. So when people talk about the universe or a divine being, you have to say to yourself, God, open up their eyes. Help them to see that it's not just something out there, but there is one who is from everlasting to everlasting, who is God and God alone. And may we worship God. May we truly give him the honor and worship that he deserves. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. See, that is everything that we are. We're to love God with all of our being, with everything that we are. And as we love him, we are to worship him. And when we truly encounter the one true living God, he changes us and he transforms us. When Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 had this vision of, of God filling this temple and his robe, he couldn't help but say, woe to me for I am a man of unclean lips. You see, when we truly experience the presence of God, we begin to more and more see how much we need God that we are not able to save ourselves, that we are unclean, that we are sinful people in need of God's grace. And our worship to God should be genuine. My prayer for you is that day by day, God would give you more and more a glimpse of his glory, that God would show you who he is in your quiet time with God, in your worship with God, because he is a holy God. He is so awesome. And there are times where I just sit and I weep when I think about how amazing this God is. That God who holds the universe in the palm of his hand. God who is so big and so powerful that he spoke creation into being and his word goes forth and it does not come back void. God who sent his one and only son to die for me. He took the punishment for my sin. God who made a way so that I could have the opportunity for eternal life. That God knows my name. He knows everything about me. And he calls me friend. When I think about that, I can't help but worship him and say, who am I that you are mindful of me? Who am I that you should care to know my name? Who am I that you have chosen me and made me a daughter of the king? When we really understand who God is and what he has saved us from and what he has done for us and how much he loves us, 
We won't be able to help but to worship him because he is so beautiful, he is awesome, and he is worthy of our praise. The people in Nehemiah's day were not perfect. The people in Nehemiah's day were, were people who were divided, were people who caused issues for Nehemiah. Thank you. But they were people who came together. They were people who came together because they desired one purpose. They desired to hear from God and they desired to see God do something. And you see, their revival began by them gathering together and being unified, putting their differences aside and saying, we are here for one purpose and one purpose alone. Their revival began by having a reverence and honor for God's word, by being hungry to hear the word of God, by being hungry to study it and to meditate on it and to memorize it and to know it. Their revival began by genuinely worshiping God for who he is. As we prepare our hearts and our minds and our spirits for God to do something new in our lives, as we prepare for revival to come, as we prepare to usher in revival, there are things that we need to do in our own lives first. You see, before we can see revival come, we need to be prepared ourselves. And as a church, we desire to see God move. We desire to see him do something great and something new. But it starts with us. And it starts with our hearts. Friends, if there are things in your heart that you are harboring against your brother or sister, it has to be dealt with. If there are things that are causing division, whether in the church or in your family, it has to be dealt with. If there are things that you are holding on to from your past, it has to be dealt with and let go of so that you can see God do something new, so that we no longer grieve the Spirit, but we allow an atmosphere of praise so he can come and we can say, Spirit, come and have your way. We need to give God's word the respect and honor that he deserves. We need to open it. We need to meditate on it. We need to teach it, talk about it, study it. We need to give him the honor that he deserves. And our worship needs to be genuine. We all worship in different ways, and that's fine. But once our worship is genuine, forget about who's around. Forget about what people may have to say. You worship God because he is worthy of your praise. As we seek God more and more, as we seek to discover his will for our lives, how holy and beautiful he is, we begin to usher in revival. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are indeed a holy and awesome God. And Father, as we quiet our hearts, Lord, we understand that we're not here to put on a show. We're not here for other people to give us praise, but we're here because we are in need of you, because we're desperate for you, because we need you every minute of every day. We need you every second. Lord, we need thee. And we pray that you would not pass 
pass us by, but that you would hear our humble cry, that you would see how much we need you. Father, you know the hearts and the lives of each one, and I pray that you would come and that you would meet with them in a real way, that your Holy Spirit would encounter us, God, that your Spirit would fall fresh on this place, that as the people encountered your Spirit and just cried and wept, because of your holiness, that, Father, you would reveal to us that again. Lord, help us to focus on you and you alone. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all that we seek, and we pray that you would come and have your way, for we desire revival. Help us to bring about the change in our own lives, the change in our family, the change in our church, the change in the body of Christ that is necessary to see you move. And so, Lord, may you help us to stand firm as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers, and to know that you will have your way. And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign, that you would forgive us, God, of things that we have done wrong, that you would forgive us of the things that we have held onto against other people. You would help bring about the healing that we need, God, from the bitterness and the resentment and all of those things maybe from our past, and that you would help us, Lord, to truly just worship you for who you are. And so, God, come. Come and have your way as we prepare ourselves for revival. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.